they had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, Don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody, worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town. A Savior who is the Messiah and Master. This is what you are to look for, a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. At once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights, peace to all men and women on earth who please him. Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard, the sheep herders, were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. The sheep herders returned and let loose glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen, it turned out exactly the way they had been told. Well, I hope you're enjoying this so far. I certainly am. It's my hope, it's our hope, that you enjoy the entire Christmas holiday that tomorrow, as well as this evening, will be something very special for you. There was a comic strip, Dennis the Menace. Dennis is talking to his dad about Christmas. He says, Dad, why can't Christmas ever go into overtime? Good question. And a great idea, by the way. Christmas really ought to go into overtime. In fact, it, it can. As long as Jesus stays the center of it, you can have Christmas all year long. Because Jesus Christ, unlike Christmas, is not here today, gone tomorrow. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He'll be with you every single day of the year. But once you take Jesus out of Christmas, you really don't have Christmas, do you? I mean, take Christ out of Christmas literally. What do you have? Merry Miss. It's all about Christ. The angel said, and we just heard it and saw it depicted, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. A Savior is born. Over in the Indian Ocean is a little island that's remote. A lot of people don't even know about it called Christmas Island. And in the Pacific, there is also a remote little island called Christmas Island. You know, Christmas is like an island. It's an island of hope in the midst of a hopeless world. It's an island of love in the midst of a loveless world. It's, it's an island of something that the world doesn't have. And so I would say to you, come to Christmas Island. Enjoy Christmas all year long. Christmas can go into overtime. Now, I want to take you back 2,000 years to the Middle East, to the time of of the nativity. We've been doing that through the songs and through the depictions and through the readings. But 
Uh, if you remember uh, Mr. Peabody on the Boris, or the, um, the um, what's the cartoon? Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And Mr. Peabody would tell his little sidekick, set the way back machine. And they would go back to a period in history. The period is about 2,000 years ago. Give or take a few years, we don't exactly know when. The Middle East. A Roman census has been demanded. Mary is great with child, about ready to give birth. Joseph really doesn't understand how exactly she became pregnant. He knows he didn't do it, but he doesn't want to put her away in divorce, so he promises to take care of her. Now, I remember when I grew up, we had a great little manger scene. My mom still has it, I believe. And we, we put the angel up on the wire, and we set up the manger, and there was the shepherds and the magi, and it was pristine and serene, and it was beautiful, temperature controlled, because it was in the living room. Smelled great, because we put pine needles around it and candles. In other words, it was absolutely inaccurate of the way it really happened. The way it really happened... Most of us, it's hard even to imagine. But if we go back to, first of all, the events that preceded it, at least a week it would take for Joseph and Mary to leave their home in Nazareth, 90 miles away from Bethlehem, and trek south. The census demanded it. Joseph's town was Bethlehem. His lineage was the house of David. Bethlehem was the town of David. Beit Lechem is the Hebrew. Bethlehem. Beit means house. Lechem means bread. Bethlehem, the house of bread, they were to go to. It was the house of bread because that's where all the grain, the wheat, was grown in the fields of Bethlehem. The bread of life would soon be born there. And they go on their way from the highlands of Nazareth, taking the southern route through the flatlands of the Jordan, and then going west over the mountains in Jerusalem. Now, according to ancient reckoning, uh, they traveled about 20 miles a day. Mary was probably put on a donkey and Joseph walked. They had to carry their own provisions with them. But because Mary was pregnant, going was slow. And then to cover some of those mountains, they also had to go slow. So probably they went about 10 miles a day. So it took with between seven and nine days to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. As I said, they carried their own provisions. They couldn't stop at 7-Eleven or Village Inn on the way. And so they had to carry in wineskins, water, and bread with them. For breakfast, they would have dried bread. For lunch, they would have bread dipped in oil with herbs, and they would have the same for dinner. Once they made it to Bethlehem, there was still a lot of trauma ahead. You know the story. They went, and there was no room in the local inn in Bethlehem. Now, in those days, the inns, well, they, there weren't holiday inns. It wasn't like a hotel today. An inn was an open square enclosure called a caravansary, where a caravan of animals, when people would gather together. And in the middle of this con or caravansary, this inn, was a square enclosure where the animals would be kept. And then in little rooms around the enclosure, the people would spend the night. There wasn't even room in that caravansary, that inn. And so they were shown to the outskirts. There was close by a cave. That's where animals were kept, in a cave. 
Those that weren't part of the caravan were kept out where they could be kept away from the weather and inside where there were feeding troughs or mangers. And the mangers weren't made out of wood. We presume they were made out of stone, dug out with hay inside. And that's where the Son of God visited the earth. We know the story. But why a manger, why the hardship, why the heartache of a Middle East setting during a Roman census for the Son of God to enter this world, the one whom we exalt and sing about with candlelight and beautiful music, why? Well, it shows attitude. It, first of all, shows the attitude of the world toward God, and it shows the attitude of God toward the world. I say that it shows the attitude of the world toward God because there was simply no room in the local caravansary for this couple to have their baby. No room. And little has changed. For all practical purposes, there is still not room in people's busy lives for Jesus Christ personally. Okay, once a year at Christmas, that's okay. But Jesus Christ personally, uh-uh. The Scripture's right, isn't it? Jesus came unto his own. His own would not receive him. And that was foretold by the prophet. Isaiah said, he's despised and rejected among men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So there he was, born in a cave, surrounded by common animals, and he would die on a cross surrounded by common criminals. No room. There was no room in the political world for Jesus. Herod was the guy in Jerusalem controlling the Jewish portion of Judah. He didn't want a king. Somebody else born who would be quote-unquote king of the Jews posed a threat to his plans, his agenda, his power. Herod and the rest of the Roman officials wanted nothing to do with another king. I believe that there is little, if any, room still in the political world for Jesus Christ. Every four years, there's always room at the voting blocks as candidates court the Christian community. But in the real daily world of politics, Jesus has been taken out. There's no room. Also, ironically, there was no room for Jesus in the religious world of his day. Now, Herod had some guys who knew the scriptures, and he asked them, well, where is he to be born? And they could cite chapter and verse, Bethlehem. They quoted Micah, just like that. But they could really care less, personally. They knew it in their head, didn't get down into their heart. They could care less. Because 30 years later, when he, Jesus, presented himself as their Messiah and Redeemer, they orchestrated his crucifixion. No room among the great religious leaders of his day for Jesus. By the way, there is still not room for Jesus Christ in many churches, among many religious groups today. Well, as long as you say Jesus is a good example, a nice guy, a great moral teacher, fine. As long as you say there are many roads to God and truth in all religions, no problem. But the minute the real Jesus of the Scripture speaks up, We want nothing to do with him. The minute Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The minute Jesus says stuff like, unless you believe I am the one, you will die in your sins. He starts saying that kind of stuff and people go, oh no, there's no room for that kind of Jesus around here. Thank you very much.
Don't you find it ironic that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door, I will come in and fellowship with him? He said that to his church. I'm knocking to get in. Let me in. I'm outside the church. I want to come in. We've done that to him. No room in politics. No room in religion. That's the attitude then of the world towards God. And this manger, this cave, outside of the inn, outside of the town, showed the attitude of the world toward God. But it showed something else. It shows wonderfully the attitude of God toward the world. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. And the manger in a cave, a feeding trough, shows humility. It's what Paul hinted at. No, it's what Paul declared when he said of Jesus, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. The birth inside of that cave symbolized his entire life from the cradle to the cross. He came to serve. He came humbly. You know, he could have been born among aristocrats in an elegant home with finest clothes, the best schools, with hospitals attended by the best doctors and nurses. After all, this is God. But he didn't. He was wrapped in the humblest of wrappings. Not a satin sheet. Rags. Bible calls them swaddling cloths, torn up rags. He could have had angels, being who he was, attend his beck and call like many servants, but he didn't. Though there were angels announcing it to the shepherds, around Jesus were barnyard animals, and then later on the shepherds. Humility. It also shows God's attitude toward man in a wonderful way of access. Anybody can come to a manger if they'll humble themselves, if they'll bow low enough. Now, you might have a few people, I'm not going in there, that's a smelly manger. I'm a better stock than that. But anybody who would humble themselves would never be intimidated by a manger. Who gets intimidated by a barnyard? Now, if you approach a king in a palace where there's gold and silver and attendance, you would get intimidated. But nobody gets intimidated among barnyard animals. So the shepherds came. They didn't have to get checked by the FBI or Secret Service agents. The Magi didn't have to call in advance and get an appointment with Jesus. They just showed up. Jesus was always accessible. And that marked his entire life. number of examples of that. There was the time when parents brought their children and they wanted to all get around Jesus. And the disciples tried to stop that. Oh, you're not going to get close to Jesus. He's a busy man. And Jesus said, allow these children to come unto me. This is the kingdom of God. Or the time that the woman who for 12 years suffered a hemorrhage internally, she pressed through the crowd and grabbed a hold of Jesus' garment. And Jesus stopped and took time out of a very busy schedule. He was on the way to heal somebody who was dying. In fact, the delay cost that child's life. But he took time. He was always accessible, and the manger demonstrates that. Free and open to all. Do you know why you are here tonight? I'll tell you why a lot of us are here tonight. We're here tonight for the same reason we were here last night. 
And the same reason we were here this morning. The same reason many of us were here last week and the week before and will be here next week and the week after. We're not going to come just at Easter. But every week, every day before God. We come because Christmas is a lifestyle to us. We worship as a lifestyle this King. You see, we live on Christmas Island. This island of hope and love. This island of peace in the midst of a world that doesn't know it. Because for a lot of us, Christmas won't end tonight. It's going into overtime. Tomorrow morning, the day after, the day after, all the way up till the 24th of December next year, it's in overtime for us. It's every day. We worship Him all the time. Joseph Bailey wrote something with great insight as a prayer. He said, praise God for Christmas. Praise Him for the Incarnation. For the word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks on frosty nights or angel choristers. I will not sing of the stable bear in Bethlehem or lowing oxen, wise men trailing distant star with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Tonight I will sing praises to the Father who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to his son as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I will sing praise to the infinite eternal Son who became most finite as a baby, who would one day be executed for my crimes. Praise Him in the heavens. Praise Him in the stable. Praise Him in my heart. Would you pause for a moment before we close off this service with more song? Would you bow and pray with me? Lord, there is no more humble a surrounding than a feeding trough streaked with the saliva of barnyard animals for your son to arrive on planet Earth. No more humble. The trouble with so many of us is we won't bow as low as you did. We don't want to admit we need a Savior. We don't want to admit we're sinners. We don't want to admit that this baby grew up to become a man to save people like us. We need it desperately. Some have admitted, some haven't. Christmas is all about receiving your gift to the world. The precious gift, the precious cargo, the package of eternal life wrapped in the skin of a peasant child. Amazing love, amazing grace. But here we are, Lord, On Christmas Island, every day of the year, Christmas has gone into overtime. Lord, help us as your children, really, authentically, sincerely, to live it. To live it at home with that person we call husband or wife, with those Others that we call son or daughter, father, brother, sister. Help us, Father, in our relationships, in our friendships, and our business partnerships. To live like Jesus is really real and really alive and is really coming and really does make a difference. Otherwise, Lord, it really is just a once a year feel good session. We don't want that, Lord. We honestly want more than that. 
And so we commit here and now, not to Christmas, but to Christ, the center of Christmas. And then, Father, we pray for those who have gathered many in this room and four other rooms beside, thousands of us here. We pray that those who don't personally know Jesus, they've been invited, they're glad to be here, we're glad they're here, by a relative or friend, would say, Lord Jesus, come in and rule in my life. Be my Lord and Master. Forgive me of my sins. Give me your life. In Jesus' name. Amen.